Good day, everyone. Welcome to Learning Bible Truth. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D., here to take you on a tour of the Bible by reading entire books, not just one scripture of the Bible. And I will be sharing commentary with you while we read line upon line and precept upon precept of every scripture. Since you won't take the time to study and show yourself approved before God, I am bringing the scriptures to you. So get your Bibles, take out pen and paper, invite family and friends, take notes, and let's learn Bible truth. Good day, Bible truth listeners and learners. I hope today finds you well. Now we are embarking on episode three of this three-part series. Now, hopefully, I do mean hopefully, we can finish this series today. Now, the reason I say that is because chapter nine, I may have to spend um, a little bit more time than I want to because I need to explain what a lot of things mean in chapter nine. Or shall I say a lot of these scriptures mean. And I don't want you to, even though I don't don't have a problem with it, I don't want you to have to email me and ask me, hey, what did you mean when you said that? So I'm going to take my time with chapter 9. And hopefully we can finish chapters 10, 11, 12, and 13 today. Now, for those of you who are tuning in for the first time, the name of this series is The Letter to the Hebrews, the most important letter to the world. Now, if you want to catch up, you can go on one of my podcasts and look up uh, Learning Bible Truth with Dr. Kamala D and listen to episodes one and two of the letter to the Hebrews. Now, you guys know, those who have been listening on a regular basis, that I have been using the NIV to share this episode and teach from uh, the New International Version. However, I am switching to the ESV for this last episode, hopefully the last episode. The ESV is the English Standard Version. Now, for those of you who have a different version, let's say the NIV, the New King James, or the RSV, that's fine. Because in the end, we will be in the same place, or we will end up in the same place. The reason why I'm mentioning the different versions is because you may see some different words. But I can assure you, we will end up in the same place. Now, last time we left off with um, the writer to the Hebrews speaking about the new covenant that we are under. Well, this is our first covenant because we are Gentiles. And the old covenant was given to Moses for the children of Israel, the Israelites. We are not Israelites. We are not the children of Israel. We are Gentiles who were ushered in when the Lord Jesus Christ came and died on the cross and allowed everyone, he made the ground leveled, meaning even, so that any man that comes to him can be saved. 
So we left off with God making the first covenant obsolete. The Jews, the remaining Jews, or the if they have any Israelites left, they are no longer under the old covenant. But because they did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, they are still following the law. And the letter to the Hebrews, we don't know who the writer is, but we do know it was one of the apostles, is explaining to the Hebrews who are Jews that about the covenant. That's what he's doing. He is explaining how the old covenant was obsolete and how Jesus Christ, the Jesus Christ, the historical Jesus Christ is the Messiah and his blood sacrifice, the sacrifice that he made on that cross is uh, the reason why we are under the new covenant and why they should turn away from the old covenant. Now, here's the thing. He is talking to Jews who had accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, but they had allowed some of the Jews who had not converted over to Christianity to come in and convince them to start turning back to Judaism and becoming Judaizers again. So the letter to the Hebrews is so important. And the reason why it is important to the entire world, because we have some modern day Christians who were never Jews trying to follow the laws of Moses. And I'm not talking about the laws of the land. This, this is completely different. Trying to follow the laws of Moses in order to establish a righteousness with God. You can't. And those of you who have been following this series already know you can't. It is the righteousness of Jesus Christ that God will accept. And those who believe on the finished work of Jesus are the people who God is accepting. He is not accepting anyone who is following the laws of Moses. So with that said, let's go to chapter nine. I am in the ESV once again and commencing at verse one, we are getting ready to talk about the responsibilities that the Levitical priesthood had in the temple. Okay. Oh, uh, verse one. Now, even the first covenant had regulations for worship and an earthly place of holiness. Verse two, for a tent was prepared. The first section in which were the lampstand and the table and the bread of the presence. Now I want you to try to visualize this. Okay. Um, it is called the holy place. Verse three. Behind the second curtain was a second section called the most holy place. Verse four. Having the golden altar of incense and the ark of the covenant covered on all sides with gold in which was a golden urn holding the manna. Manna was food. Uh, but I'll explain that uh, a little more in detail in a few. And Aaron's staff that buddied and the, ta and the tablets of the covenant. Verse 5. Above it were the cherubim of glory overshadow overshadowing the mercy seat. Of these things we cannot now speak in detail. Now, let me try to explain what the writer was just talking about. He was talking about the earthly holy place. Now, this section describes the Old Testament tabernacle. 
its furnishings, and its worship practices. Now, this depiction of the first covenant lays the groundwork for the discussion of the new covenant in the next section. The Mosaic covenant came with legislation governing how to worship God and where to approach God in holiness. Now, the tabernacle, which was an elaborate tent for worship and also is divided into two portions, the holy place and the most holy place, literally the holy of holies. And if you heard me say that in the previous chapters, that's why I said the holy of holies, because that is what the second part of the tent was called. Only the high priest was allowed to go there. Now, if you want to cross-reference this, you can write down Exodus chapter 25, verse 9, uh, chapter 26, verses 1 through 37. And hopefully you can pull up a picture and see the tabernacle tent. Okay. Now, literally, the holy of holies, indicating most holy, the items within each of these sections are mentioned in accordance with the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 25 um, verses 30 and 37 or either Exodus 25 uh, and chapter 30 and chapter 37. Now, this text describes the most holy place as having the golden altar of incense. The altar of incense, however, was not in the most holy place, but in the holy place. Okay, and there's a difference between the most holy place and the holy place, you know, just in front of the veil. You can read Exodus chapter 30, verse six in reference to that. That separated it from the most holy place. Now, and in it was was tended daily by the priest. Read Exodus 30. Um, that's chapter 30 verses seven through eight. And you can also read in the new Testament, Luke chapter one, verses nine through 11, and not just once a year. It is unlikely that the author of Hebrews, whom we don't know, we just know it was one of the apostles was familiar with the old Testament tabernacle and its sacrifices would mistakenly think this altar was inside the most holy place. A better solution is to understand the word having to mean that this altar of incense was closely tied in its function to the most holy place so that it belonged to the most holy place. For as its incense burned, the smoke drifted into the most holy place. OK, you can also read first Kings uh, chapter six, verse 22, because it speaks of this altar in a similar way. OK, I want you to also um, cross reference and read if you want to learn about the Old uh, Testament tabernacle, go to or write down Second Chronicles, chapter two, verse four. These are all the scriptures that I studied. Psalms, verse 141, verse two and Revelations, chapter five, verse eight, chapter eight, verses three through four. Now. The text also says that a golden urn holding the manna and Aaron's staff that buddied were in the Ark of the Covenant. Now, however, the Old Testament says the urn and the staff were placed in front of the Ark. You can read Exodus chapter 16, verses 32 uh, through 34 and Numbers 
chapter 17, verses 10 through 11. Now, it was not in the tent, okay? And what I mean is um, Aaron's staff that budded were in the Ark of the Covenant. However, the Old Testament says the urn, okay? And the staff were placed in front of the Ark, not in it. And, and speaks only of the two tablets of the stone as being within the ark. You can read Exodus chapter 25 verse 16 and verse 21. And also Deuteronomy chapter 10 verses 1 and 2. But it would not be unlikely for the urn and the rod to have subsequently been stored in the ark. Okay. And the author of Hebrews may be dependent on other information that is no longer available. By the time of Solomon's temple, it was noted that there was nothing in the ark except the two tablets of stone. You can cross-reference this if you want to read about it because I had to study all of this to teach you. 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 9, 2 Chronicles chapter 5 verse 10. But that may suggest that other items had previously been in the ark. You can also see 2 Chronicles uh, chapter five, verse 10. Now the tablets of the covenant are the two tablets containing the 10 commandments. You can read Exodus chapter 34, verse one and verse four. You can also read, uh, verses 28 and 29. You can also go to Deuteronomy or write these, um, scriptures down. Deuteronomy chapter 9 verse 11 and chapter 10 verse 5. Now let's go to verse 6. I just explained what chapter 9 verses 1 through 5 meant. Okay now we are getting ready to resume at verse 6. These uh, preparations having thus been made the priests go regularly into the first section performing their ritual duties. Verse seven, but into the second only the high priest and, and what this is saying into the second part, the holy of holies part of the tent, only the high priest goes and he but once a year and not without taking blood, the blood sacrifice of animals, which he offers for himself and for the unintentional sins of the people. Wow. Verse eight, by this, the Holy Spirit indicates that. The way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. Now, this let, let me explain uh, verses 6, 7, and, and 8. Because that's why I told you it was going to take a while to go through chapter 9. Now, having described the tabernacle, these preparations having uh, been made, the writer to the Hebrews describes the worship that took place therein. Okay. Priests go regularly into the first section, the regular pr priest. Okay. Only the Levitical priests were permitted access into the first section of the tent. They went into the holy place, not the holy of holies, the holy place, i.e. the first section or first tent. Um, to perform their regular duties, meaning changing the lamp oil, you know, the bread of the presence and, and the incense fire. And you can read this uh, in Exodus chapter 25, verse 30, chapter 30, verse 7 through 8, and Leviticus chapter 24, 
uh, verse 4 and chapter 28, verse 7. Now, once a year, and, and I'm getting ready to explain verse 7 to you, once a year on the day of atonement, the high priest entered into the second section. That is the most holy place, Leviticus chapter 16, verses 2 through 3, and verses 11 through 17. Now, after the incense cloud had, had uh, sh uh, let's say, shielded him from the mercy seat, the incense cloud, the smoke from the cloud shielded the um, high priest uh, from the mercy seat. He sprinkled it with the blood of a bull and a goat as, as a sin offering. Okay. You can read Leviticus chapter 16, verse six, uh, verse nine, verse 11 and verse 15. Now atonement for sins was required for the high priest himself and for all the people. Leviticus 16, verse six, um, 11 and 17. And you can also reread Hebrews chapter seven, verses 27 and 28. Now the law distinguishes unintentional sin. Uh, read Leviticus uh, four. Okay. The entire chapter of four. Um, the law distinguishes unintentional sins from deliberate sins. And early Judaism debated which kinds of sins the day of atonement covered. Okay. Boy, I tell you, they were back there with all that foolishness. And I thank God for Jesus because we don't have to worry about any of that. Jesus did all of our work. Now, verse eight talks about, um, by, when it says by this, that is by the system that restricted to the, uh, Levitical priest, the right of access into the presence of God in the holy place. And especially the most, um, holy place, the Holy spirit indicates the Mosaic covenant was the command of God through the Holy Spirit. And by the Mosaic law, God revealed both the spiritual separation of man from God due to sin and the pattern for Jesus's high priestly ministry. Now, way into the holy places. OK, only the priest can enter the holy place and only the high priest goes behind the veil into the most holy place. Thus. While the veil and the holy place were still standing, the rest of God's people could not directly draw near to God uh, or through uh, or not directly um, draw near to God's throne of mercy, the most holy place. OK, since the way was not yet open. Hallelujah. That way that was not yet open was Jesus. OK, Jesus is the one who allowed us access into the holy of holies. OK. Now, so let's, let's pick up, um, at verse eight again, and I just explained it, but I want to read the scripture to you by this. The Holy spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as, as the first section is still standing. Oh, hallelujah. This is spiritual. Jesus Christ removed the first section. The first section represents the old covenant. Hallelujah. Praise God. I thank him every day for Jesus here. We, because of Jesus, we can go into the Holy of Holies. We don't need a priest to go for us because Jesus is our high priest. And we read that in episodes two and one, Jesus is our high priest and he paved the way for us to go directly into the Holy of Holies. This is why we don't need priests today. Jesus is our high priest. 
Now let's pick up at verse nine, which is symbolic for the present age. And I just explained that to you that first tent, the holy place was a, a symbolism or it was symbolic to what was going to come today. Okay. Are you following me? Okay. Now let's continue. According to this arrangement, Gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. Oh, but you know, I got to explain this. Oh, verse nine and 10. Okay. Now, when the Bible talks about two ages and I'm talking about the number two. Um, it's talking about time. Um, and, and, and here it is contrast the present time, either the old covenant era or simply the, the, the present circumstances of the church. Okay. And the time of reformation. Now the latter age has been inaugurated by Christ. Okay. The present age is described as a time of impure consciences or our conscience. Okay. And of separation from access to God. Now through Christ's work, his present age is passing away and the new time of reformation, um, reformation, which has already been inaugurated will later be fully consumed where Christ has appeared at the end of the age. Now, Verse nine clearly talks about it. You know, it cannot perfect the conscience talking about the old Testament covenant. When the priest went into the holy place, ah, let me see if I can break this down to where you can understand it. Now the, the mosaic sacrificial system brought neither, um, sanctification of the soul, nor the fullness of God's peace into the inner life of the worshiper. This is in contrast with the new covenant. What the old Testament animal sacrifices could not do was remove the consciousness of sin from the worshiper, the worshiper. This is why the priest had to go into the tent annually and offer animal sacrifices first for himself. And then the people because the blood of animals could not remove your sin. It covered it for God so that God can uh, at least temporarily forgive you of those unintentional sins. Okay. Now the blood bought covenant of Jesus, the uh, sacrifice that Jesus made for us removes the sin so that we no longer have a consciousness of sin. See, that's why you have to renew your mind with the word of God. They couldn't do that back then. They had to be reminded of their sins annually and uh, blood of animals could not remove the sin. Um, it only covered it for a year, but Jesus's blood, hallelujah. Oh, I hope the Holy Spirit is explaining it to you in such a way that you can understand it. It removes your consciousness of that sin. Therefore, you can do the things of God naturally. You can do the will of God naturally. Back then they couldn't. We all have a sinful nature. They could not separate their sinful nature 
uh, from God. They just couldn't. Um, they were, it, 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 let me explain this. Sin separates us from God. Okay. And because God wanted to save his people, which were the, uh, originally the Israelites, the children of Israel, he came up with something temporary until his son could come because God is not going to change his timing. He had it all set when Jesus was going to come from the time that Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden of Eden. He already had that plan set, his redemptive plan, his plan of redemption of mankind. He already had that plan set, but he wanted to salvage some of his people. So he set this old covenant in place that involved rituals. Okay. Um, the, the, the priesthood, the Levitical priesthood had to come into the temple. Now, uh, daily, the regular priest went in daily, like I explained, which was to, you know, uh, change out the incense and, and wash the cups and all that stuff and, and replace the bread. But the high priest went into the Holy of Holies to offer the sacrifice for, um, the sins of the children of Israel, including his, because he was just a man including his. This was all temporary until Jesus came. Okay. Now, when we talk about in verse 10, food and drink and various washings, and I just explained that to you, the old Testament teachings later expanded in, in early Judaism, uh, about clean and unclean foods, sacrificial food and, and drink offerings and ritual purification washings. This may indirectly critique those holding diverse and strange teachings about food. You see, they had, they still have this today, false teachings going on in the church because it doesn't matter what, what food you eat. When you eat food, it goes through your digestive system and it comes out your rectum. So that has nothing to do with God. That food vanishes as you eat it. So we had, um, back then in uh, the letter to the Hebrews, the writer was saying that they didn't have to follow these teachings anymore, okay? Because Christ replaced all of that and opened the door for us to go directly into the Holy of Holies. Now, this is very important. Now, I hope you are not being bored by this because this is very important. It implies their ineffectiveness at, at reaching the conscience, okay? And I already talked about that, but I may elaborate on it a little more. The Holy Spirit is directing me is when you sinned, you had a consciousness of sin. You, you knew you were sinning. The laws told you when you were sinning. Okay. The laws of Moses, uh, the laws that, that God gave Moses to give to the children of Israel actually told them that what they were doing was wrong and what they needed to do to at least satisfy God uh, during that time. Now, when Jesus came and sacrificed his blood to remove our sins, we no longer have that consciousness of sin because now we can just do the will of God naturally, those who are in Christ. You got to remember, everyone is not in Christ. That's how powerful the blood of Jesus is. Now, let me read verse 10 uh, again. And then we're going to move on to verse 11, but deal only with food and drink and various washings regulations for the body imposed 
until the time of reformation. Now that's on the tail end of verse nine. So I think I need to reread verse nine and then verse 10, and then we will move to verse 11. Uh, no, let's do verse eight. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates that the way into the holy places is not yet open as long as the first section is still standing. Okay. It was not yet open, open, uh, because the first section was still standing, but Jesus removed that first section. Okay. Verse nine, which is symbolic for the present age. Now, according to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered that cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. And I just discussed that in detail about the consciousness. Um, the old Testament rituals couldn't, um, perfect the consciousness of its worshipers. Okay. Verse 10, but deal only with food and drink and various washings. That what that is what the old conscience was able to deal with, with food and drink and various washings, regulations for the body imposed until the time of reformation. The time of reformation came when Christ came now, uh, verse 11, but when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. Um, verse 11, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hallelujah. Did y'all understand that? This is, is very plain. Verse 12 again. He entered, talking about Christ, entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, which is what they needed back in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant, but by means of his own blood, that blood of Jesus, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hallelujah. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify um, for the purification of the flesh. Verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Now I explained that to you, to you guys, but let me try to elaborate on it a little more. Sprinkling of defiled persons. Now, through Old Testament sacrifices and purifications, rites, blood of goats and bulls, um, ashes of a heifer. Now, in these ashes are reserved outside the camp, mixed in water and, and sprinkled upon people to remove impurity due to, uh, let's say, proximity to a course, uh, a corpse, distance to a corpse. Now, if you notice that we have Ash Wednesdays, <laughs> the Catholics practice that they are trying to practice Old Testament practices. <laughs> I don't want to laugh, but I'm just saying they, this is what happens when you don't understand the word of God. Okay. Oh my God. You start practicing rituals that has nothing to do with God at all. It's nothing spiritual about it. It has to do strictly with man. It doesn't save you. It, it, it doesn't, um, not just save you. It doesn't make, put you in right standing with God either. So this is where they are getting this from. Okay. Where they put that little cross on, on your forehead and ashes. 
they're getting that from here. But this, the writer to the Hebrews is telling them, this is what they did back then. We don't do that today. Okay. This is why you have to rightly divide the scriptures. Now, because the Bible says, especially, I think it's first Timothy that you have to rightly divide the scriptures that indicates that there is a wrong way to divide them. And a lot of people are dividing these scriptures wrongly, therefore following wrong teachings. It is very important that you follow the right teachings of God. You cannot grow spiritually following false teachings. And I say that during every episode, no matter what I'm teaching on, you cannot grow spiritually following uh, false teachings. Now, let me, um, tell you this again. Let me explain this again. These ashes are reserved outside the camp mixed in water and sprinkled, sprinkled upon people to remove impurity due, due to proximity to a corpse. Okay. Of the flesh. Now, as opposed to the inner conscience, and we, we read that in, in Hebrews, uh, nine 14. Now, how much more an argument from, from the lesser to the greater, Verse um, 14, uh, let me elaborate a little bit more on that. Um, blood of Christ, okay? Here, contrast with blood of goats and calves. Now, through the eternal spirit offered himself. Jesus offered himself. Jesus was both the high priest for um, offered uh, and the sacrifice itself offered himself, Okay. But this verse specifies that the Holy Spirit in some way aided or empowered Christ in making this offering. Now, Old Testament sacrifices had to be without blemish. Now, Jesus is holy, innocent, and unstained. Okay. Um, when it talks about purify our conscience, the Mosaic sacrifices did not affect the conscience at all. But Christ's sacrifice purifies the in the innermost being, okay, from dead works. Now, deeds that cannot save due to human sinfulness, okay? It doesn't matter if you are putting ashes on somebody's head, if you are having someone go to church on a Saturday, trying to keep the Sabbath. All of this was done under the law, back under the old covenant. It is no longer needed today. And it was never given to us, the Gentiles. Okay. This was for strictly for the children of Israel. Now, now these deeds that cannot save due to human sinfulness. Okay. To serve the living God. Now salvation brings people into God's service. God is called living elsewhere. Okay. Indicating his eternality here. There is also a contrast with the dead works. Now, verse 15, um, I'm going to give you the commentary on it and then we can go back and read it. It's talking about a mediator. Okay. You can also, um, cross reference this in first Timothy two and five, that Jesus Christ is our only mediator today. We are not using priest. Okay. Under the new covenant. Now Christ mediates the covenant first by revealing it and then by serving as its priest who offers himself in sacrifice. You have to get this people. The priest back under the old covenant, the uh, Levitical priesthood under the laws of Moses were asked to go in 
annually to sacrifice animal blood, okay? But since God is no longer accepting the blood of animals, Jesus is our only sacrifice. We don't need priests to go into a tent made by the hands of men to offer up goats and, and, and calves, uh, the blood of goats and calves for sacrifices to cover sins. Jesus removed our sin. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now this is it because I understand it uh, spiritually. I, I, I can barely contain myself. I want you to get this. Okay. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You no longer have a consciousness of sin. Okay. You got to get this. We no longer have that consciousness of our sins. The focus is Jesus. See, that's the key. God accepts the finished work of Christ, not ours, because we can't do it. And showing sure up the blood of animal sacrifices can't do it. That was temporary back in the day, and we weren't even back, we weren't even living back then. Okay, now let's pick up um, at verse 15. I told you we were going to spend some time just on chapter 9. Once we get out of chapter 9, we can probably move a little quicker. Okay, therefore, this is verse 15. Therefore, he is the mediator, talking about Jesus, of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, which is salvation, hallelujah, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. He also saved those, the, our heroes of faith, under that first covenant, okay? Uh, and we're going to talk about that moving uh, forward, I think, in verse, uh, not verse, but chapter 10. Uh, excuse me. Verse 16. For where a will is involved, the death of the one who made it must, must be established. Right here is talking about the new covenant was not established until Jesus died. Okay. Verse 17. For a will takes effect only at death since it is not in force. As long as the one who made it is alive. That's why Jesus kept the laws. Because he had not yet died. Jesus kept every inkling of the law that God gave Moses for the children of Israel. So that we, the Gentiles and the Jews, no longer had to keep it. We never had to keep it. But we didn't even have to um, put ourselves under the law. Because we were ushered in under the new covenant. We were never under the old covenant. And y'all need to understand that. That is why I am being so repetitive about the old covenant. Because we were never under it. The Ten Commandments was under the old covenant. We are not under that covenant. We are under a new covenant. The blood bought oh, covenant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay. Let me read 17 again. For a will takes effect only at death. Since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. And this is all talking about Jesus. The new covenant did not come in place and was not in effect until Jesus died on the cross. Verse 18. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. Talking about the animal sacrifices. Um, it had to be inaugurated with blood, but that was animal sacrifices. Verse 19. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, talking about the, all the children of Israel, he took the blood of calves and goats with water and scarlet wool and hyssop. Hyssop is a part of the uh, mint family and sprinkled both the book itself 
and all the people. Verse, um, verse, I'm sorry, verse 20. Let me slow down. Verse 20 saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. You who? The children of Israel. Verse 21. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood, both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Verse 22. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Did you hear him say under the law? Under the law, almost everything is purified with blood and without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Okay, now let, let me make this clear here. The animal sacrifices really didn't forgive them of sins, the children of Israel under the old covenant, it covered because they were continuing to sin during the year their sins were covered. Okay, um, verse 23. Thus, it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites. The copies are the uh, Old Testament rituals. They were copies, okay, purified with these rites. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. See, Jesus Christ brought better sacrifices. Um, let me see if, if, if I can elaborate on this a little bit more. Now, let's talk a little bit more about the purified with blood. Now, in the Mosaic law, the initial purification of the people of God and of his uh, sanctuary required sacrificial blood. I need to to make this clear to you. That's why I'm being repetitive here. And and such sacrifices continue to be required in the law on behalf of God's people. Now, this is because sin necessitates and atoning blood sacrifice. I want you to read Leviticus 17 verse 11. It talks about that if you want to cross reference what I just said. The Old Testament sacrifices were given by God as types of Christ's greater perfect sacrifice to come. As types of Christ. Okay. Now verse 23 talks about um, uh, a, a, a covenant structure. And the need of purification, it requires an inaugurating sacrifice. Here, the focus is on the purification of the place of holy worship. Now, the lesser copies, and, I, and I'm, I'm actually commentarying through chapter 23, not chapter, but verse 23, so that we can hurry up and get through this chapter. Um, the lesser copies, meaning the mosaic tabernacle and vessels are, are patterned, after greater heavenly realities, which represent the very presence of God. And these heavenly realities uh, require a greater purification sacrifice, the blood of Jesus. The greater sacrifice is the blood of Jesus. Now let's uh, pick up at, at verse 24. Now, verse 24, for Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, okay? which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself. That's where Christ went. He ain't in no tent made with hands, uh, hiding behind the Holy of Holies. Okay. He went directly into heaven himself. Oh, and itself. That's where he is. Not just himself. Himself brought himself to heaven itself. 
Okay. <laughs> now the latter part of 24. Now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. No sinning man who had to offer sin or uh, sacrifices for his sins as well is no longer going on behalf of the people. Jesus himself is at the right hand of God pleading our case. Okay. They are one of mine. They are purified and I have cleansed them from all unrighteousness. So when God looks at us, he sees his son, Jesus, because we are dirty. There's not a perfect person on this planet. The only perfect flesh to walk this planet was Jesus Christ. And that is the only sacrifice today and, and tomorrow because it is never changing. This is it. This is the end. This is the final covenant that God is making with mankind. Next, the end time is coming. God is only accepting what Jesus did on that cross. He's only accepting the blood of Jesus for a final sacrifice once and for all for mankind. Okay. Um, verse 25, nor was it to offer himself repeatedly. And I just uh, explained that, that Jesus Christ only offered himself once as the high priest enters the holy places every year with, with blood, not his own. And I talked about that already. Verse 26, for then he would have, he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. Because you know, when you kill an animal to sacrifice his blood, that is a continuous suffering. Jesus only suffered once. Oh, he's not suffering again. Trust me. And when he returns, he won't be suffering. He won't be returning to redeem man from sin. He's coming back to get his church. And before this world is destroyed, trust me, that's why we are called, um, or it's called salvation. We are saved from the wrath that's coming. Everyone outside of Christ will endure that wrath, but we don't even have to think about it because those who are in Christ will never have to endure that wrath. Never. Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never underline that word. Never, never perish. So you can rest. If you accept the Christ as Lord and Savior, you are saved until the day of redemption and you can never be lost unless you choose to leave. Okay. Um, let me read verse 26 again. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. He don't have to go sacrifice again. It's done. It is done. When Jesus died on that cross in the last words, he said is it is finished. He was talking about the Levitical priesthood and he was talking about the Mosaic covenant. It is finished. Oh, it is finished. He died because remember a will cannot take effect unless the person who created it dies. And when Jesus died on that cross, that new, that will was ushered in. Hallelujah. Thank God. I'm glad we don't have to go through all that because if you read the Old Testament, you know, Levitical, uh, Le uh, Le uh, Leviticus and, and Exodus, all the stuff the children of Israel had to do, we can't do it. Like Peter said, they couldn't keep it and our fathers couldn't keep it. So why are you trying to make the Gentiles keep something you don't keep? We don't have to keep any of that. We don't even have to accept the laws of Moses. We don't even have to think about them. We need to walk in love. Verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once. And after that comes judgment. I already uh, shared that a few seconds ago. Verse 28. So Christ having been offered once 
to bear the sins of many will appear a second time, not to deal with sin, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Didn't I just tell y'all that? Let me tell y'all something about me. I will never share something with you. I can't back up in scripture. And if someone is sharing something with you, they can't back up in scripture. I suggest you better search the scriptures to see um, if what they are telling you is true and then make sure it's, it's talking to you or referring to you because a lot of things in scripture, especially the old Testament is referring to the children of Israel only the, the Levites only, not us. And we are not no lost sheep from the children of Israel. We are not. Okay. God still has promises. He has to fulfill uh, for the children of Israel that has nothing to do with us. The problem with, with these uh, so-called churches today is they are trying to make themselves like the children of Israel under the old covenant. All of that is a waste of time. And in the end, when you find out Jesus say, get away from me, I never knew you. you you're going to find out that's not the time to plead your case. The, the, the time to plead your case is now. So when you hear his voice, harden not your heart, and you are hearing it right now, harden not your heart, you better receive the truth. Okay? And guess what? We are getting ready to go into chapter 10. Hopefully, I almost spent an hour just on chapter 9. Um, hopefully, we can get through this now. Okay, chapter 10, verse 1. For since the law has put a shadow of the good things to come instead of the true form of these realities, it can never by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. And we are talking about the um, animal sacrifices of animals. It can't make man perfect, so God is no longer using that. He's only using or accepting the blood of Jesus. Okay, verse two, otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers ha having once been cleansed would no longer have any conscious consciousness of sin. Um, so what this is saying here is if the blood of animals were able to accomplish what God wanted it to accomplish, we wouldn't need Jesus's blood. Why would Jesus have to come? Okay. Um, verse three, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. And we talked about that already. That is what the animal, um, sacrifices did annually for the children of Israel. It reminded them of their sins. They had, that's why they had a consciousness of sin. Um, it reminded them of sin because it couldn't remove them and it couldn't stop the children of Israel from sinning. Oh, but the blood of Jesus can. Oh, hallelujah. The blood of Jesus can. Verse four, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Didn't I just tell you that? I can back up everything I say in scripture. Everything. Verse five. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired. But a body have you prepared for me in verse six in burnt offerings and sin offerings. You have taken no pleasure. Verse seven. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will. O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the books. Now, Jesus, this was quoted from uh, Old Testament. Let me pull up my notes to see. Um, yes, it was quoted from Psalms. Chapter 40, uh, verses 6 through 8. And it was uh, a D Davidic song applied here to the Davidic most, uh, Messiah. Okay. 
Now this shows David's awareness as seen elsewhere in the Old Testament that God desired faithful hearts and lives more than um, mere performance of sacrificial official rituals. You know, it also prophesies the coming of one who will do God's will and God's preparation of a body for that person. Now a body have you prepared for me. Okay. The um, ESV, which is why I uses it translates the corresponding phrase uh, in, in Psalms 40 verse six, as you have given me an open ear. Okay. <laughs> oh Lord. That's why I switch uh, these versions because I compare each um, lesson or episode that I teach to the original Hebrews and original Greek text to see which one is the closest. Okay. Now, um, where were, was I? Let's go back to chapter. Okay. Verse eight verse. Let me pick up at verse eight. Now the, the writer to the Hebrew just quoted from Psalms. Okay. Ch Psalms 40 verse um, what did I say? Psalms 40 verses six through eight. Okay. So y'all can, can read that and cross reference it because the old Testament, um, the, um, writer to the Hebrews, which was one of the apostles, we just don't know his name. He quoted Psalms 46 and eight because it was referring to Jesus. It was Jesus speaking back then. Now that's spiritual. That was a nugget I just shared. That was Jesus Christ speaking back then. Okay. So, um, let's pick up at verse, verse eight. Okay. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings. These are offered according to the law. Okay. Uh, verse nine, then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first. Okay. Oh, y'all get ready for this. Now, listen carefully. Let me read. Let me start um, verse nine again. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. This is talking about the covenants. He did away. Now, what part of doing away do people not understand is beyond me. They have some people that just want to do what they want to do. They want to defy God at his word. The Bible is not just, it, it doesn't just contain the word of God. It is the word of God. We always have, have to have something to compare to. Now, I don't want to digress, but this fits here. If you are a mechanic and you go to mechanic school, uh, sometimes you run into a pickle. When you are working on a car, you know what you refer to? You refer to that mechanic book to bring back to your uh, remembrance what you need to do to fix this certain part or to change a part. It is the same with the Bible. If you are confused about what God wants you to do or, or God's will, you refer to the Bible to fix it. You don't refer to uh, a denomination that is telling you things you want to hear. Okay. Or uh, a, 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 pastor who has strayed away from the word of God, like Jim Jones did and David Koresh, who said they were the Messiah here <laughs> and led people to their, uh, their debts. Um, what you do is you refer to the scriptures. That is how you find the truth. Okay. Now let's get back. Um, the last part of verse nine, 
he let let let, let me read this again um Let me read nine again because I want you to get this. Then he added, behold, I have come to do your will. He does away, underline that word away, or however it is worded in your Bible, in the version that you have. He does away with the first in order to establish the second. Verse 10, and by that will, we have been sanctified, meaning set aside. Through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Christ died on that, Christ, that cross once. He's not going to die again. Oh, that's it. He conquered death when he rose from the grave. So he's not dying again. Verse 10 again. And by that will, we have been sanctified, meaning set aside, through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. Verse 11. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices. He's talking about what they did under Levitical priesthood, which can never take away sins. Hallelujah. Praise God. This is clear. So if you have been told something else, you need to make the adjustments to believe the truth. The truth is in God's word. Okay, I used to follow false teaching because I didn't know any better. And then God led me to his word. And when I realized I had been misled, I got angry. Oh, yes, I started studying and, and I, I am detail oriented. Okay, that's a gift, but um, I'm using it to share God's word. But and I'm also a researcher. I will research whatever I hear. If I'm not familiar with it, I will research it to see if it's true. Now. Let's move to verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He ain't behind no veil in a tent made by hand. He's seated at the right hand of God. Human priests couldn't do it. Priests couldn't do it. When Christ died on that cross and it started thundering and lightning yes that happened people because a lot of people believed when they saw that they're like oh my god he truly was the son of god that was the veil in the temple tearing from top to bottom opening up so that we had free access to god hallelujah hallelujah praise god verse 13 waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet now this is talking about um, the enemies of Christ, which is the devil and the Antichrist, the people who are against Christ. That's considered the enemies. Now, they are still roaming the earth today. We are under grace, um, which is why we need the Holy Spirit to help us through these difficult times, because the enemies of Christ are still here. OK, they have not been made a footstool right now. They have been conquered. They have been defeated. That's futuristic, but as in terms of being uh, made a footstool, they are still running around. And, and verse 13 tells you that waiting from that from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. OK, verse 14, for by a single offering, that single offering is the blood of Jesus. He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. It is continuous. See, people, that's why we have to speak, uh, preach the gospel. Okay, this is progressive. Saving souls uh, is 
progressive. That's why my ministry is about bringing people back to the gospel. Okay. I heard a sermon today. I must say, I, I won't um, mention the, the ministry, but it was on radio. I was driving and the pastor in the pulpit was telling the, the church, you know, um, about people being uh, spiritual He's saying, you know, it ain't all about, you know, speaking in tongues and laying on hands and healing people. Oh, that's fine. You know, I'm not against that. Here's what, let me stop right here. It doesn't matter if you're against it. God is for it. God implemented it for a reason. Speaking in tongues, laying on hands, healing people. Healing is still available today. The problem is people don't believe in healing. And if you don't believe in healing, don't expect to be healed. What did uh, the apostle James, Jesus' brother say? He said, those who don't believe, and I'm paraphrasing here so you can get it, shouldn't expect anything from God. And he said, it is the prayer of faith that heals the sick. Simple as that. And the Lord shall raise him up, not put him six feet under. The Lord shall raise him up. So the answer to, because I get this question from people through email, email or in person, you know, why are so many Christians dying? Because they don't believe in healing. That's why. Jesus healed everybody who believed. He said, woman, your faith has made you whole. Your faith, because she believed Jesus could do it. And remember Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And those who believe uh, or come to God must first believe that he exists and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. God rewards those who diligently seek him, not punish them. He rewards them. So we have a lot of people today who are walking by what they see and not by what God tells them. See, the one who believes what God says, because we are getting ready to go into, especially in chapter 11 and 12, the heroes of faith, the heroes of the Old Testament who, who didn't live to see Christ, but they believed what God told them about the coming of the Savior. And because of that, they are saved. Oh, there's a lot. Oh, there's a lot of spiritual uh, things in here that um, I won't share today because it's not a part of um, this lesson. But it's coming up about the Old Testament people who, who were saved. They were saved not based on the laws, but based on believing God. We got to believe God today about his son. If we choose not to believe God about Jesus, we're not saved. We have to be just like the Old Testament um, saints, I will call them, because that's what they were. They believed God. They weren't perfect, just like we aren't. And Jesus saves imperfect people. So if you think you're perfect, you can't be saved. You just go ahead on and try to establish your own righteousness and then see where it gets you. But I will tell you this. When you come before the great white throne judgment, that's not the time to um, plead your case. <laughs> that time is when you are here. When you go before the great white throne judgment, you can't say, but, but God, but I, you know, I followed. No, 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 no. You heard about my son. You chose not to receive him. Sorry. Bye. Into the lake of fire and brimstone. That's the second death. Ah, I slipped that nugget in on, on you. Let's pick up. Where were we? Hmm. Let me go, um, read verse 11 again. And every priest stands daily, um, at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. We read that already. Verse 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single, a single sacrifice 
for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. He ain't behind no temple made with hands. Okay. Verse 13, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. And that hasn't happened yet. That's why this world is such an, in, in, in chaos and in ruins because the enemy is still trying to destroy it with God's people. But God's people are saved. You understand me? Jesus said, I give them eternal life and they shall never perish. Believe that here. See, that's where your salvation comes in at. Believing. You have to believe that word. Verse, verse 14. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Set aside. Hallelujah. Verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us for after saying... Verse 16, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts. The laws is love. Okay. Jesus fulfilled the law with love. And that's in, 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 in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Um, verse 17, then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Now, all of this comes with the new covenant, the blood-bought covenant of Jesus. I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. See, man remembers what you did yesterday, but God doesn't if you are under Christ. If you are in Christ and you walk in love, now you have to distinguish the children of Israel, the promises God made to the children of Israel and the promise he made to us. We are under the blood-bought covenant of Jesus, which is the law of love. We are not without a command. We are commanded to love our brothers and sisters and our neighbor as ourselves. Okay. Love is the covenant we are under. The children of Israel. Um, God made a, a separate promise to them, but still they have to accept Christ. But he has to fulfill those promises. That's going to be under another teaching. Verse 18, where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin. What this is saying right here, and some people use this scripture, these false teachers to tell you, you know, if you, uh, if you sin, you know, if you accept Christ, you sin, that's it. That's not what this is talking about. Uh-uh. That's why you have to rightly divide these scriptures. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offerings for sin, meaning you can't use animal sacrifices. Only the blood-bought covenant of Jesus Christ. The blood Jesus sacrificed on that cross. That is the only sacrifice that God is accepting. That is what verse 18 is talking about. Okay. You can't even get another meaning out of this because if you read everything, you got to remember what John said, little children, if we do sin, we have an advocate with the father, Jesus. That is who our advocate is. Okay. That is who offered an atonement for our sins. You don't, we don't, look, let me tell you something. We don't have priests that go into the Holy of Holies every year with animal sacrifices. And the, the, the priest, um, a human being like you and I, cannot offer up Jesus for us. Jesus offered up himself. Didn't we just read that? This in your Bible. Use the analogy I used about the uh, mechanics here. When you are confused about something, you go to the Bible. And establish what the truth is. Mechanics go to their mechanic book to identify certain parts that he forgot about. And if somebody else tell him, tells him something and he's confused about it, he goes to the book. We go to the book. 
the Holy Bible to establish the, 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 the truth of God's word, not man. It like, that's why I come back and make corrections when I know I misspoke. My job is to lead you to the truth, not establish my own righteousness or try to convince you to establish your own righteousness because your righteousness is like filthy rags. God is not accepting that from you. He's only accepting what Christ did on the cross. Ah, yes, Lord. Verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, didn't I just tell you that? Verse 20. By the, the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. Remember I told y'all, Jesus, this is, oh, this is so spiritual. Jesus was the curtain. He was back in the Old Testament temple. Uh-huh. He was that curtain where the high priest went through to enter the Holy of Holies to offer up these animal sacrifices. Jesus was that curtain. Okay. So, uh, oh, let me read 20 again. By the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. So now we can go to the throne of grace with all boldness. Okay. Without feeling sad. Honey, we need to feel glad that we can go in the presence of God without any assistance from a man. Hallelujah. Jesus provided that access. Oh, yes. Verse 21. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, verse 22, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. That pure water is the word of God. Hallelujah. Verse 23. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. He who promised is God. And what it's saying here is uh, let us hold, hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, meaning keep the faith in Jesus. He is the confession of our hope. Jesus is our hope. So what the writer is saying here, God is saying, he promised that we will have eternal life. He promised salvation. And that's why the writer says he who promised is faithful. God is faithful, not man. Don't you pay attention to anything that man tells you that is contrary to this word. He who faithful, which is God. Okay. He who promised is faithful, which is God. Okay. Verse 24. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. See, that's the covenant we are under, under the covenant of love and doing good works toward one another, not hurting anyone. You ought to take care of your brothers and sisters in Christ first. They, uh, your brothers and sisters in Christ is more of a brother and sister to you than your biological brothers and sisters. If you have some sisters and, and brothers in Christ, and you have some biological um, siblings that are not saved. Do you know that your brother and sister in Christ are your true brothers and sisters? Oh, I thought I'd share that too. Mm-hmm. I know that's too much for some of y'all. Uh-huh. You take care of your brothers and sisters in Christ first. And then you can help out some strangers. Okay, verse 25. Not neglecting to meet together, meaning not, not neglecting to assemble yourselves together. As in the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 
what 25 is saying is that we need to meet often to encourage one another to stay in the faith and to find out, find out the needs of, of each other. And those who, who have to give, they should give, not loan, give to your sisters and brothers in Christ who are in need. Okay. Verse 26. For if we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer, um, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. This too, you have to be careful. What this is talking about, if you go on sinning deliberately, meaning if you completely turn your back on Christ, that is the ultimate sin that leads people to hell. Okay. It's not adultery and fornication and all that. Now that can, um, cause you to separate from God and in your life, um, early, but you're still going to heaven. Oh, I slipped that nugget in there. Um, and y'all know I can back up anything in scripture, but, and I won't say it unless I know I can back it up in scripture. Cause if I say it, that mean I've read it, I've confirmed it. But what this is saying is if you turn away from God, that there is no more sacrifices for you. Okay. You can't go find sacrifice someone else. I mean, somewhere else you can't find it in religion. You can't find it in a church denomination, which is religion. You can only find that sacrifice in Christ. So what, what uh, the apostle is saying for, if you go ahead on and, and continue to sin, meaning turning your back on Christ after receiving who he is, which is the knowledge of the truth after receiving who Christ is and what he did on that cross for you, there no longer remains a sacrifice for your sins. Okay. Verse 27, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Everyone who is against Christ and, and not following Christ is his adversary. Those who um, believe that Jesus never came in the, in the flesh, John says is the antichrist, the apostle John, John, the revelator who Jesus inspired to write the book of revelation, the end time. He says there is uh, that person who, who doesn't believe that Jesus came in the flesh. These new uh, black Hebrew Israelites says that Jesus never came. They are the Antichrist. You better stay away from them. Uh, verse 28. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses died without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And this is another scripture that people can deceive you with. They'll read um, Hebrews 10, 28 and, and leave it at that. But what this is, is a comparison um, from the old covenant, which was under the law to the new covenant under the blood bought uh, covenant of Jesus Christ, which, which is the covenant of love. This is a comparison. So listen to verse 29. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled under the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified? set aside and has outraged the spirit of grace. It outrages God that you would reject his son. I've often said, Jesus didn't come here and die for nothing, honey. You can choose to believe or don't believe, but in the end, you won't be able to plead your case. Not when your spirit leaves your body today. When you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. You need to accept Christ today. You don't know if you will be here later on and you don't have to change and get yourself ready to accept Christ. He accepts you as you are. Then you allow the word to work its way through you and to establish a relationship with God through his word and allow his word to change you. I don't know what people are running for because I used to be a little hellion. And now I love everyone. 
I see everyone through the eyes of God. It's a beautiful feeling, a beautiful feeling. Verse 30, for we know him who said, vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people talking about the Israelites, the children of Israel. That's who the Lord will judge. Because you have to remember the writer, the, this apostle is writing to the Hebrews. Now, where it um, plays a part in the church today is uh, law versus grace and who Jesus is. It explains the uh, blood of Jesus versus the blood of animals. That's where it applies to us. But he's talking about um, for those of you who trample on, on the blood of the covenant of, of, of Christ. If, if you ignored Moses law back in the day, he talked about what happened to you after three witnesses. Cause you had to have three people to confirm what you did or didn't do. He's comparing this to today's covenant, the new covenant. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace. The spirit of grace is God himself. It's Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the witness to who Jesus is. Yes. Yes. Verse 30. For we know him who said vengeance is mine, I will repay. And again, the Lord will judge his people, the children of Israel. Verse 31, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Yes, it is. You think what's going on today. You think people are getting, with, getting away today. Let me tell you, all the evil that you are seeing going on, and I'm talking about, I'm talking to God's true Christians right now, all the evil you see going on today, they're not going to get away with what they're doing. People who turn their backs on God and, and they wake up every day to hurt others. Uh, the injustices we see going on today, God hates injustice. People not being treated fairly. People are, are, are being treated uh, badly because of the color of their beautiful dark skin. Let me tell you something. God is not supporting that. We are all one in Christ. And God made man with one blood and one flesh. There's no such thing as a different race. We have different ethnicities. This is another teaching, but I'm going to digress right here because you need to hear this. And this is all biblical. And when I teach a subject on it, you, you're going to, uh, I'm going to confirm what I'm saying now. God created man with one blood. He created man with one flesh and, and under one nation. Okay. It has nothing to do with color, nothing. We have different ethnicities. In order for us to have a different race, you have to get people from another planet. And from what I know, we haven't had anyone from another planet come to earth. That'll be a different race. But there's only one race of people on this planet, planet earth. Um, verse 32, but recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings. Verse 33, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction and sometimes being partners with those so, uh, so treated. Uh, verse 34, for you had compassion on those in prison, those who were arrested for the sake of the gospel, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better passion and an abiding one. Um, what this, what the writer is saying is that you suffered before for the name of Christ. Okay. 
and 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 you uh publicly you were publicly exposed to reproach and affliction oh yes and sometimes being partners with those so treated meaning you um uh, though others other um christians who suffered you went and supported them you you, you know you partnered with them into in in that suffering that's what that is talking about. Verse 34. I'm kind of getting tired uh, people. That's why I said we may finish this episode today or um, let me see if I can get a, a second win so that we can continue. We are in chapter 10 right now. We got 11, 12 and 13 to go. I don't think we're going to finish today. Um, but let's see. Verse 34. For you had compassion on those in prison and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one talking about Jesus. Uh, verse 35, therefore do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Your confidence is in Christ. The reward is eternal life. Don't throw that away. Verse 36, for you have need of endurance. Oh, keep the faith so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. The promise is eternal life, salvation. That's what the promise is. Verse 37, for yet a little while and the coming one will come and will not delay. But by, but my righteous, my righteous one shall live by faith. Meaning the just shall live by faith. That may be the virgin you have. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You don't have to worry about me shrinking back because I know what's on the other side. Verse 39, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who have faith and, and preserve their souls. Oh, we are entering chapter 11. Let's see if I can get through chapter 11 and we can save 12 and 13 for tomorrow. Let's see. Chapter 11, verse one. Now faith, this is where we are talking about faith and what it is. And it's going to start talking about the heroes of faith. Okay. How powerful faith is. We are saved by grace through faith. Meaning we have to believe what God promised. Which is eternal life through his son. We have to believe that. Okay. Um, verse 1 again. Chapter 11. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. This is why we walk by faith not by sight. Verse 2. For by it the people of old. Talking about the Old Testament saints. Our faith heroes received their commendation. Verse three, by faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what, what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, meaning God spoke worlds into existence. He spoke the universe into existence before he saw it. God believed what he said and what he said appeared. Okay, that's what that means. Verse four, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain. Remember Cain killed Abel? That was the first murder committed on earth. Cain, out of jealousy, killed his brother Abel because God liked Abel a little more than he did Cain because Abel was sincere about the gifts he brought to God, the offerings he brought to God, okay? Through which he was commended as righteous, talking about um, Abel, um, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. Meaning, see, we still talking about the faith of, of Abel. 
Okay. Through that faith. Oh, my Lord. Through his faith, Abel's faith. Though he died, he still speaks. I just spoke about Abel. That's what this is talking about. We can still use Abel's faith today. Uh, verse five, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he should not see death. And he was not found because God had taken him. Now, before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God, meaning Enoch had had uh, plenty of faith. Uh, let me talk. Enoch was was taken up to directly to God. He never died. Okay. Now, this is, if you want to read about that, this is in Genesis chapter five, verses 21 and 24, when God just took Enoch up. Um, this indicates that Enoch, uh, did not die, but that God took him from the earth alive. And when it says having pleased God, um, Genesis also states twice that Enoch walked with God. He, he walked with God. He believed God. And, and this phrase is interpreted in the uh, Septuagint as Enoch having pleased God. It's interpreted that way. But what it's talking about, because remember, without faith, it is impossible to please God. Please God. So that means that Enoch had faith in God. Whatever God told him, he did. Okay. Now, to please him, the Septuagint of Genesis states that certain patriots please God. Okay. For um, Enoch walked with God. And I told y'all to read that in Genesis uh, chapter 5. Um, not just 21 through 24, but also 22. Um, verse, I mean, chapter 5, verse 22 as well. Um, Noah also pleased God. Um, when God told Noah to build the ark because of what was coming, Noah didn't question God. He just built the ark because he believed God. That's how Noah was found pleasing in the sight of God because he believed him. Okay, let's pick up at verse six. And without faith, it is impossible to please him for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And remember, I told y'all that a, a few minutes ago, the uh, ESV version uh, is a little different than the NIV, but it still says the same. It may be a little different in your version of the Bible you are reading, but it, the meaning is the same. And let's read that again because it's so important. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, him who God, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists. You have to believe God exists before you even go to him and that he rewards you. You have to believe that God is a rewarder of those who seek him, not a punisher. He is a rewarder. So you should be happy when you go to God and you should expect him to answer. Okay. Uh, verse seven, by faith, Noah being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, meaning the events didn't even happen yet in reverent fear, meaning respect for God, reverent fear. He had a, a reverential fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he, co he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith because Noah believed God when God told him a flood was coming and was going to destroy the whole earth and that he would to take uh, two, a male and a female of every animal on the earth so that it can reproduce after its own kind and replenish the earth. Noah believed God. Oh, oh, listen to this. Here we talking about Abraham. 
uh, verse eight, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. Remember God told Abraham to, um, I can't remember which scripture. I, if I was to pull up my notes, I can to, um, take his wife and, and go to a, another land, which was the land of Canaan, by the way, uh, black because Canaan is black. Um, and he went out not knowing where he was going. He trusted God. See, Abraham is the father of faith. <laughs> he's the father of prosperity too, but he's the father of faith because he trusted God when God told him, look, just pack up your stuff and go here. And that's why Abraham was blessed. Um, verse nine, by faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents. We talking about Abraham with Isaac and Jacob heirs with him of the same promise. Hallelujah. Verse 10, for he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, um, whose designer and builder is God. Mm. Verse 11, by faith, Sarah, who is Abraham's wife, herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age past the age of having children sarah was in her 80s i think since she considered him faithful who had promised now sarah also laughed when god promised abraham and sarah that she would give abraham a seed a child a son a boy now what is not mentioned here is abraham and sarah became impatient with god about him promising to give uh, God a son, I mean, Abraham a son uh, with his wife, Sarah. Sarah took Abraham and um, brought her maidservant to her husband, had him marry her, and they conceived the son whose name was Ishmael, okay? But Ishmael was not the promised son, okay? And then, because they still had faith in God, um, God still allowed Abraham and Sarah to have a son who was the child of promise. His name was Isaac. Okay. Now, if you want to read about that, let me see if I can pull it. That was in, um, Genesis 18 verses 19 through 15 and Genesis 21 verses one through seven, write that down. So you can read the story about Abraham and, um, and Sarah. Oh, okay. Mm, where do I, what did I leave off at? Okay. Verse 12. I see when I look up and look back down, cause I'm reading from my, um, iPad, the Bible, the ESV from my iPad. Oh, it's hard for me to find these uh, or refocus my eyes to these scriptures. Verse 12. Therefore from one man and him as a, as good as dead were born descendants, as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the in innumerable grains of, of sand by the seashore, meaning, because remember God promised Abraham he was going to make him a father of many, many nations. Okay, this is what this is talking about. Him as good as dead, where Abraham is dead today, were born descendants, as many as the stars. We are the descendants of Abraham. Okay, those who are in Christ. Ah, I had to tell y'all that before y'all <laughs> went off and, and, and turned left. Um, the descendants of Abraham are those who are in Christ only. Okay. Verse 13. These all died in faith. Talking about the Old Testament saints. They all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having knowledge 
that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Now, they all died in faith, not having to, they haven't seen Jesus. They didn't see the promise, but they believed God anyway. Okay. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, meaning they saw the coming of the Messiah and they believed God. And so they are now our Old Testament saints who are saved. They are still waiting for the promise. And, and, and this is getting spiritual. Let me, um, I'm going to break it down when we get to that scripture, which should be coming up and having knowledge and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Verse 14, for people who speak thus, make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. Verse 15, if they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. Verse 16, but as it is, they desire a better country. That is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Hallelujah, which is the new Jerusalem where all the saints, those who are in Christ will be when this current world is destroyed. Hallelujah. His kingdom, his official kingdom will be set up in Jerusalem. Thank you, Jesus. Verse 17, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, his son, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Now, here's the thing. Let me explain this. Verse 17. Abraham um, was going up on the, um, I forgot where he was going. I think Mount Sinai. Make, don't quote me on that. I, I'll look it up and make sure if I have to explain it next time, I will. Um, to offer up his only son, Isaac. Now, the Bible says his only son, where it says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac and he who have received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. You got to remember he had Ishmael first. Ishmael was not the promised son though. Okay. So that X is out. Uh, all these people just having children. You better make sure your children accept Christ out of wedlock because the promise was made to Abraham and his wife, Sarah. They got impatient, still waiting on God because they were up in age. I'm talking about in the eighties and nineties. Um, they, Abraham, um, Sarah brought her maid servant to her husband, Abraham, uh, had him marry her and they had Ishmael, but Ishmael was not the promised child. And Ishmael was a hell on earth, baby. You hear me? Isaac was the promised child. That's why when you always hear me say the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they don't mention Ishmael. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who created the um, the same God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is the God who created the heavens and earth. And he is an eternal God. We have some religions out there that tell you the God who created the heavens and earth. Boy, Satan ain't nothing nice. No longer ex exists. It's a new God. How you going to kill God off? Man is something else. Man and his, his um, mental illness is something else. How you going to kill God off? So that's what uh, this is talking about. Abraham tried to offer up Isaac. And so what God did was send Abraham a vision of his son that was coming, that was going to be sacrificed. Uh, his blood was going to be sacrificed for the sins of all mankind. Therefore, Abraham did not have to offer his son Isaac because he believed God when God told him, I'm going to send my son to die for the sins of the world. You don't have to offer up your sacrifice 
uh, I mean, your son for a sacrifice. And Abraham believed God and he didn't kill his son. Okay, verse 18, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. So uh, Isaac had to live in order for his offspring to be named. Uh, verse 19, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which figuratively speaking, he did receive him back, meaning he did not kill his son. So what happened was um, Abraham was going to, be he believed God so much, he believed if he sacrificed his son Isaac, that God was going to raise him from the dead anyway. So, but that was figuratively speaking. Now he did receive him back, meaning he didn't kill his son. Okay. Verse 20, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Hallelujah. Verse 21, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph. Yes, he said a blessing over them before he died. And he had faith in what he was saying that God would bless them. Bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Verse 22, by faith, Joseph at the end of his life made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. What um, Joseph did before he died. And he, look, let me tell you, faith is powerful. Is believe that God would save the Israelites. He already believed that he made mention of it and he gave that, excuse me, directions concerning his bones, meaning where he would be buried. Okay. And he believed that that would take place. That's how strong their faith was back in the day. The saints of old verse 23 by faith, Moses, when he was born was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful, meaning that he was special. That's what the word beautiful means here. It, it, they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict, uh, the king's law. See, the king at that time, Pharaoh, was trying to kill off all the male kids. And so since they knew that their son Moses was special, honey, his, his, Moses' mother put him in that little basket in the water and she had faith that her son would be saved and just pushed him on. And Pharaoh's daughter found Moses. Okay, if you want to read that story. <laughs> um, verse 24, by faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Now, here's the thing. You know, he was a baby, so he didn't know that wasn't his mother. What he uh, what this is saying here is that because Pharaoh was the king and uh, that was his daughter, Moses refused to accept the privileges that came with being the son or the grandson of Pharaoh. It, verse 25 says, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He chose to be with the people of God, which were the children of Israel who were being oppressed by the Egyptians. The Egyptians were black, by the way. They enslaved the Jews, the children of Israel, the Israelites, for 430 years and God sent Moses to deliver them from Egyptian slavery and the children of Israel. And I talked about this in other two previous episodes that they still turned their backs on God, even after he delivered them from Egyptian slavery. Don't y'all turn y'all backs on God. Uh -uh. Just because the road gets rough and you run into a, a few bumps in the road, it's called trials and tribulations. Don't you turn your back on God. Uh-uh, stick with Jesus. Stick with Jesus. There is an expected end 
that God is going to see to it that we, we reach and expect it in. Um, uh, verse 26, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Moses knew about the coming of Jesus Christ before it even happened. This was a thousand years before Christ came. Moses knew about the Savior. He wasn't a Savior. He was a, a type of Savior for the children of Israel. But Moses was a man, a regular man who was a sinner. Because he had killed an Egyptian trying to take up for um, his one of his brothers and sisters who were, uh, were Hebrew, who, were, who was a Jew. Mm -hmm. and, and some Egyptians witnessed it and then told Moses about it the next day. I don't want to digress too much because that's not here. It's just that I know these scriptures and sometimes they just come out. Um, verse 26 again, he considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt for he was looking to the, to the reward. Yes, Lord. Here go another nugget. Christ was Moses' savior too and Christ hadn't even been born yet. See, Christ existed before the world did. Okay, silence for reflection. Verse 27, by faith, he left Egypt, talking about Moses, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible, meaning he saw Christ who was invisible. He wasn't afraid of the king. Now, he fled Egypt because uh, some witnesses saw him kill that Egyptian who was messing with one of his brothers, one of the Jews, okay, and called him out on it. Verse 28, by faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood, okay, so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Y'all know about the Passover, the death angel. If you put the blood of a man, nah, I don't want to go into that. that. That's another teaching. And, and I think I've taught on that in one of my episodes on my podcast. Uh, verse 29, by faith, the people crossed the Red Sea. As on dry land by the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. This was by faith. You know, Moses held up that staff and parted the Red Sea. Hallelujah. And God made a way for the children of Israel to get away from the Egyptians. And when the Egyptians tried to follow them, the sea, the, the, the walls of water closed uh, in on the Egyptians and drowned them. Tell me God can't protect his people. Verse 30, by faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. Verse 31, by faith, Rahab, the prostitute. Let me say that again. By faith, Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. The spies that God had sent to spy out the land. Now, here's the thing. The promised land that he was um, directing Moses to lead the children of Israel. Um, here's the thing. Rahab may have been a prostitute. Wasn't even a Jew. But here's the thing. She believed them that they were men of God. And so she protected them. And because of that, her faith that their God had sent them saved Rahab the prostitute. She was saved by faith, not by following the laws of Moses. Uh, oh, I know there's some powerful stuff. It's some spiritual stuff, but you need to ask the Holy Spirit to give you understanding. Okay. Verse 32. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me 
to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, um, Jephthah. Oh, I thought, wait, J J oh, let me see how he pronounced his name. Uh, Jephthah. Okay. Jephthah. J-E-P-H-T-H-A-H. Of David and Samuel and the prophets. Verse 33. Who through faith conquered kingdoms because they believed God was with them. And when you wasn't working with God or allowing God to work with you, God was not working with you or for you. Okay. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice. Now I want y'all to, did, did you hear this? Enforced justice. When people were doing wrong, God was on the side of the people who, who were being done wrong. Who could not get justice from crooked kings. See, in America it's called presidents. You, 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 you see what verse 33 says. It says, enforced justice and obtain promises. Stop the mouths of lions. Hallelujah. Y'all know David did. <laughs> David uh, or Daniel was able to conquer the lions. Verse 34. Quench the power of fire. Escape the, the edge of the sword. Were made strong out of weakness. Became mighty in war. Put foreign armies to, to flight. Because they had faith in God. Oh yes. Verse 35. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Refusing to accept, uh, accept release. So that they might uh, rise again to a better life. Or either a better resurrection. You may see that in your uh, version. Um, what this is talking about here. Is that. Let me explain this because this is very, very spiritual. Um, uh, see how I'm, I'm going to put this. Let's say refusing to accept release so that they might uh, rise against to a better life, meaning a better resurrection. It's talking about the people were willing to die. Okay, because they knew that God had a better life for them and a better resurrection for them in Christ. Because of what Christ did on the cross. Let me tell you. The people back then. The saints of old. Went through hell. They went through hell back then. The people today. You, is no. no. Let me tell you something. If you walk up to a Christian today. And say. Say, say Jesus is Lord. Or I'll cut your head off. They ain't going to say it. They're going to say. I don't know Jesus. They're going to do just like Peter did. I don't know Jesus. Peter denied Christ three times. When the people asked him. Was he with, with Jesus? Did he know him? He said. I don't know him. Peter even started cursing them. So ain't no church built on Peter. Okay. It wasn't until Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. That the, the promise of the Holy Spirit. When it came on the uh, day of Pentecost. When you couldn't get uh, Peter to deny Christ. But he did before. And I'm telling you today. You, my head will just be chopped off. I'm sticking with Jesus. Because I know he exists. I've experienced his presence. So that's what uh, verse 35 is talking about. Verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging, meaning they allowed themselves to be tortured. Flogging is being whipped with leather and even chains and imprisonment. Allowed themselves to even go to prison for the sake of the gospel. Verse 37. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Oh, yes. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats. They were destitute, afflicted and mistreated. For the sake of the gospel, because they knew they had a better resurrection. Verse 38. 
of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. They were wandering about, hiding from those who were trying to kill them because of the gospel. And, and those who were being led by, by the devil like today. You go in some uh, parts of the earth and other nations, you mention Christ, you will get killed. See, that's where the devil um, has set up his shop. He's also in America. He's in the White House right now. Um, that's why you see people being treated the way they are being treated. That's why you see the laws of the land being ignored and violated. That's why you see human rights being violated. Um, civil rights are being violated. Um, we see people who are not receiving justice. We see law enforcement who is supposed to be, um, excuse me, establishing peace and order instead of violating the law. They are not establishing peace. They are exciting chaos. They are not, if look, people wouldn't have to march if, if people's rights were not being violated. We just read where they said they forced justice. Okay. They had to force it. And that's why it's okay. It's legal for people to protest. It's not legal for people to riot. Let's get that straight. People should not be rioting, but it is okay for people to protest. Not only is it okay in God's eyes, it's also a part of the law, the constitution that you have a right to protest. So while people being arrested for peacefully protesting, I saw, I saw it with my own eyes. People didn't have to tell me that people, innocent mothers who were protesting the deaths of their sons, just standing up against the wall and was being pepper sprayed in the face. Now, anybody who supports that, I've read where people were saying, well, they shouldn't be out there. What? Ah, I, I don't want to digress too much on that, but trust me, I got a teaching coming up on that before this year is out about God is not on the side of crooked uh, law enforcement. Uh -uh. Law enforcement was put here for a reason to establish order, but they are not trying to establish order. They are violating people's rights. They are breaking the law. They are committing murder in front of our eyes by people who are not a threat to them and they are committing murder. We are seeing it. And then this crooked government who is led by Satan and their many followers want us to believe that if the person had just li uh, listened, they, they wouldn't have been killed. So with that said, the next time your child uh, disobeys you, shoot him. That's what I tell you to do. Shoot him and see where it gets you. So law enforcement doesn't, doesn't have special rights in the eyes of God. Just like the apostle John, and I'm going to move on from here. Uh, John the Baptist told the soldiers who represent law enforcement who came to him, what can they do? And he said, first of all, you should not put fear in anyone and don't complain about your wages. You should not put fear in anyone. So what is law enforcement doing today? This is in your Bible. So you, you have to make a choice. There is no middle. You either side with God or you are side or you side with evil. I choose to side with God. Okay. Um, verse 35, women received back their de their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept uh, release. So that uh, they might rise again to a better life. Verse 36. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. Verse 37. 
They were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep. That's all they had to put on and goats. Uh, they were destitute, afflicted and mistreated. Verse 38 of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. The world was not worthy. The world didn't understand them. Okay. Um, let me explain that a little bit more. We have to, might as well. Uh, I'm not going to finish because after I finish 11, we're going to do uh, chapters 12 and 13 tomorrow. Um, world was not worthy. Their presence in the world was, was itself evidence of God's grace. Okay. That's what this is talking about for their proclamation of the word of God to sinful people was a greater privilege than people deserved. Dens and caves I already told you about that. That's self-explanatory, especially associated with the prophets in hiding. You can uh, read first Kings 18 and four and, um, verse 13 or either uh, chapter 13 and you can read chapter 19 verse 9 how the prophets of old had to hide because they the prophets are the ones who delivered the word of God okay Moses represented the law but he also was a prophet he spoke of the uh the future of the coming of of, of Christ God is going to send you a prophet like me Christ's ministry was a, was a prophecy he was a prophet but he was also the son of God and the atoning sacrifice for our sins why did Moses say a prophet like me? I'm digressing a little bit here because Moses was in, in, uh, in some sense a deliverer for the children of Israel because we had a lot of other prophets. Why not a prophet like Jeremiah or Isaiah or Ezekiel? He said a prophet like me because Moses was a deliverer for the children of Israel. So um, when he said a prophet like me, he was talking about Jesus. Jesus is a deliverer. Okay. He is a uh, uh, where our salvation is. And that's what Moses was talking about. In some sense, he was the savior of the children of Israel, but only out of Egypt. He couldn't save them in terms of their souls being saved. He saved them out of the hands of the Egyptians. That's what Moses was talking about. Um, okay. Let's, let's try to close verse 11 out mm. with verse 39 and 40. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, meaning they had not seen Jesus. Okay. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Now, let me really explain this here. What this part is talking about the end of verse um, 40, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect is talking about the actual resurrection of the dead and our salvation and our new bodies. The old Testament, um, saints such as Abraham and, and, and the other ones I mentioned, Isaac and Jacob and Sarah and, and, uh, Joseph, um, when they died, they went to sleep in the grave. Okay. Now, it, this is going to get a little spiritual for you. You know, the wisdom of God is foolishness to man, but you gotta get this. Uh, just listen with the open mind and the open heart and let the Holy Spirit speak to you. When they died, uh, because Christ had not created the heavens and earth for us yet, yet at least heaven or paradise for us. He didn't do that until after he ascended. Remember, he told the apostles that he had to leave to go and prepare a better place for us or a place for us. Okay. 
Um, he had not done that yet. See, all of the old saints of faith had passed away. They were not in paradise. Before Christ ascended into heaven, paradise was in the ground. Ah, uh, you didn't know that, did you? Paradise was actually in the ground, under the earth. Okay, so that's what it means by that apart from us, they should not be made perfect, meaning they haven't been made perfect yet. We will be made perfect together. Either when Christ return, if he happens to return while we are still living or we may die. Personally, I don't think that Christ, uh, that Christ will return while we are still here because he said um, he's not going to return until um, we all um, have the unity of the faith. And it, there's no way, no way. Uh, the, the, the body of Christ is so fragmented and scattered all over till it's pathetic. So Christ, I don't see him coming anytime soon, but still we don't know. He said until we all come to the unity of the faith, that's when he's supposed to return. That's a hint he gave us until we all come to the unity of the faith. I don't see that happening. But anyway, the saints of old could not be made perfect apart from us because we Christ have not returned to accept his people. Now, I will tell you this. Um, this is in scripture. I, I'll, when I get to that teaching, I will remind you of it. That when Christ rose from the dead and when he ascended on high, the Bible says he took captive captivity. It's, it's in um, the book of Acts when the, the beginning of the church, when he took captive captivity or took uh, captivity captive. That's what the original Greek text says, took captivity captive. He took the old saints with him. That's what that meant. So he took them from being buried in the ground and took him and they were ascended with him and they are sleeping Jesus. Oh, I know that's too spiritual for you, but I ain't the only true minister of the gospel that teaches this. See, people tend to reject what they don't understand, but that is Bible truth rightly divided. And that is in the book of Acts. So um, back, let me read verses 39 and 40 again. And all these talking about the Old Testament saints, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised yet. Talking about that new body. Okay, they got to wait on us because we all going to receive it at the same time. Verse 40, since God had provided something better for them, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Apart from us. Okay, this is the best the English interpreters can put it <laughs> where you can understand it. I think the NIV explains it uh, the best, but I'm sharing to you what that mean means, meaning that we will all be made perfect together. Although they died, they didn't see the promise yet. They will receive it with us. Okay, now I'm going to stop here, saints. We will finish and close this out in episode four. Sorry, I'm tired. Um, verses uh, not verses, but chapters 12 and 13 and close this out. So until tomorrow, I want you to stay safe. Continue to pray for peace. If you go out in public, like I did this morning before I started this podcast today, uh, wear your mask so that you can protect others. Okay. From you, you don't know if you have the virus or not. You may be asymptomatic, meaning don't have symptoms. And practice social distancing, which is six to eight feet away, not just six, six to eight feet away. And so that you can make sure that you are safe 
and that person around you is safe. And if everybody makes sure one another is safe, we can get through this. Hallelujah. Praise God. So I hope you were blessed today. I know it was long reaching two hours. That's why I refuse to go further. I will close this out tomorrow. So until tomorrow, peace out. All right. I hope you were enlightened by this message. If you have any questions or comments about this episode, please send your questions to trustgod55.cd at gmail.com. Or you can send me a direct message by clicking on the message button located on my podcast, Anchor, Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, and Radio Public, and submit your remarks. You can also support my podcast financially by accessing all my podcasts and clicking on the support this podcast button. Whatever you choose to donate will be greatly appreciated. I am praying for God to give you a return on your seed. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, as it relates to sowing a seed, But this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Hallelujah. Now, God will give you a return on your seed as long as you sow your seed in good ground with a cheerful heart. The key is having a cheerful heart. Now, until next time, brothers and sisters, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith, not by what we see. I am your host and teacher, Dr. Kamala D, rightly dividing the word of truth in peace and love. I thank you for tuning in and I hope to see you next time.